Today's scripture reading comes from Daniel 10, that's page 748. So you can follow along in our red Bibles um, in the pews. And behold, a hand touched me and sent me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, we're in Daniel chapter 10, uh, and um, based off of Sylvia's reading of that chapter, some of you are just like, where is he going to go with that? Like, uh, that's crazy stuff. But I, I want to kind of paint a picture for us before we jump into these verses and think about this question. And the question is, why is our world so broken? Why is it so broken? And then I want us to think about just the history of human civilization, that it's not because of a lack of effort that our world is this broken, because we are trying. People are trying. There are a lot of resources being poured into good work, into nonprofit work, into environmental things, into injustices, into all sorts of causes around the entire world that people are trying to fix brokenness in our world. It, they are trying. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there are more nonprofit organizations doing charitable work today than there has ever been in all of human history. And according to the National Center for Charitable Statistics, there are over 1.56 million charitable nonprofits in the United States alone. And that has been an increase of 10% since 2005. And so we have tried so hard to do the right thing. We have tried so hard to do good, to unite against various injustices and wrongs in the world. But again, it goes back to this question. Why is there so much conflict with everything that we've done, with all the resources we've put in, with all the money we've put in, with all the like-mindedness to battle against certain things, why does it seem like things are getting worse? And when will all of this end? And that's the question that has been going for a really, really long time. Um, Daniel had the same question back in 600 BC. And before I go any further, I don't want to paint just this doom and gloom picture because I do realize there has been some wonderful progress in our world, like women's suffrage, like uh, equal rights with African Americans and things like that. But, but, Understand me on this. That's only been in the last hundred years. What about the thousands, ten thousands of years of human civilization? Like it took us that long to figure that out? That's crazy. And so as we look at chapter 10 this morning, 
We begin looking at this closing section of the book of Daniel, and, and hopefully it will help us answer this question, when does this all end? Starting in chapter 10 will be this vision that actually carries on into chapter 12, and sometimes uh, people can get caught up in all of the details within the vision, and then they get into this nonstop debate about what things mean, and, and we can do that, but um, we won't. That, that's not why we're here. Rather, I want us to actually fly up you know, 50,000 feet and just kind of look at the landscape and see what this has for us from that perspective. So verse 1, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. So Daniel was made aware of this great conflict. He understood the word and he had understanding of the vision. Now what's happening here is that Daniel knew what he was experiencing in the physical world was actually a reflection of what was happening in a spiritual realm. That there was a spiritual event behind what is happening in the physical world. Which is why I believe Christians explain this in the way that they do is we have, when someone without that perspective, without that spiritual perspective, I, I have a question for them. How can you explain all the effort, all the resources, all of our attempts throughout human history at doing good in this world, but then things just seem to get worse? Like, how do you explain that? How do you reason with me to tell me that there isn't something beyond just what's happening in this world. And so the Christian has this perspective that there is a spiritual evil that is opposed to goodness, that there is a spiritual enemy that is opposed to Jesus Christ and is continuously engaged in conflict since Genesis. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now that prophecy in Genesis 3 points to Jesus Christ. And our conflict is traced back to this. People tend not to automatically trace their conflict to spiritual causes. They, they tend not to do that. You go down to the lake and you just have a little conversation with your average person around the lake and, and you ask them, where do you think um, conflict originates? And if you go on to explain to them this idea of spiritual realms and earthly realms and all this kind of stuff, they might look at you a little strange. Right? They might wonder, like, what are you talking about? Now, some people might be on board with you, especially in the Bay Area. A lot of people are spiritual here. And some people might think that you're working on some movie script, you know, like in the evil and good, whatever. But this is a problem with addressing physical manifestations of conflict without addressing them in the spiritual realm. And that's why there's still so much conflict in the world, because we're not fighting against what's wrong in the right places. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our ultimate conflict is not against flesh and blood. And because people can't physically see it, they tend to reject it. 
And just like some people who reject God because they can't see him, they can't touch him, and I have a tough time understanding the logic behind that because a lot of the conflict we're experiencing is unseen. Those systematic injustices our world is experiencing aren't things that we can see. They aren't things that we can touch, but we still know that it's there. So how is that any different from the evil that is out there that can't be seen or touched? How else can we explain the inability to overcome evil after so many years of human existence? How is that possible? I wonder this because we figured out some amazing, amazing things. Think back to before we can sail across the oceans. How did we do that? How did people end up flying? How did we end up going into outer space and landing on the moon? How do we figure out those amazing things throughout all of human history, but we can't figure out this simple thing where there's a conflict and you can't get along with a spouse or a child across a dining room table? We can't even get along. But we figured out all these amazing things in our world. And go back to verse 1, and you notice how Daniel is taking us back to the beginning of the book. We already know that his name is Belteshazzar. We already know that Cyrus was the king of Persia back in Daniel chapter 1. Why is he pointing us back to the beginning of the story? Well, Daniel is pointing us back to faithfulness, that since the beginning of this story, God has been faithful. Daniel also has been faithful. As he is telling us these, this vision in Daniel 10, he's in his 80s. And he has been marked with faithfulness since the beginning. Listening to God, seeking God's face. Now in order to get a better understanding of what's happening in world history, we look at Ezra chapter 1, verse 1, and it reads this. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, so in Daniel 10, this is year 3, but this is going back to year 1. That the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. So, so far, we know that God had allowed the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar to take the people into exile and into captivity. We know from the prophet Jeremiah, as Ezra has told us in Ezra 1.1, Jeremiah is referring back to Jeremiah 25, verse 16, that this would last 70 years, and then the people would be repatriated back to Jerusalem. Now, how is all this going to happen? By the king of Persia, Cyrus. And as he is allowing some of the Jews to leave and repatriate, we notice that Daniel does not go. Now, Daniel was a key figure in making all of this happen. Now, why wasn't he going? Well, from last week's study, we know Daniel to be humble, contrite in spirit, trembling at the word of God. So he wasn't interested in getting all the credit and getting like all the bands coming out and all the flags. Yay, Daniel did all this. He's not interested in, sort of, in all that sort of stuff. He's not interested. So he's also not interested in going for a very practical reason that I, I think. And I don't know this personally because I'm not in my 80s yet, but I hope to get there sometime. And I know my relatives, my aunts that I just went to visit in China, they're in their 80s and 90s. My dad is in his 80s. And something that they all have in common is they don't like to travel. They, that's it. No, no more flying, no buses, no nothing. What? Leave me at home. Leave me alone. Leave me at home. Because I, like my dad, I, we offered to pay for his trip to China to go with us. He said no. I was like, what? 
all expenses paid. Like, you don't have to pay a thing. Like, no, I'm tired. You haven't even stepped forward yet. Like, how can you be tired already? And then I had this brilliant idea. There's six of us, there's three of my aunts. Why don't I just fly them over? Then it would be less expensive because then they could just stay with me. Uh, I didn't tell my wife this part, though. They could stay with us and... Um, we could feed them. Everything's cheaper instead of us flying over there. And like, then when we get there, we have to buy gifts and we have to treat everyone to meals and all this stuff. You know, Asian stuff. You, gotta, you spend a lot of money when you visit. When we do that, so I'm you know, talking to them like, oh, no, we're too tired. All expenses paid to the United States. Like, why wouldn't you do that? Because they're in their 80s and 90s. No, leave me be. So I think this is Daniel. He's in his 80s. Travel 800, 900 miles to, to Jerusalem? Mm-mm. Roads aren't paved, no bullet train, no airplane. I'll be carried there, but I'll be like riding like this the whole time. No, I'm, I'm staying. I'm going to stay right here. So he takes a back seat, and he lets Nehemiah and Ezra take the lead on rebuilding Jerusalem. So he was in his 80s. He's part of this, but he's part of this and he's decided, I'm going to battle in the spiritual realm. I'm not going to be the guy lifting bricks and rebuilding this wall. I'm not going to be the guy that's going to like rally the troops and, yeah, go get them, guys. I'm going to be the guy. I'm going to stay and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray and I'm going to fight on the spiritual side. And he knew that the people would face a tremendous opposition as they were trying to resettle back in Jerusalem. And this is the beauty of elderly saints who are still very active in the work of God. They might not lift a brick to build the wall, but they are here and they're fighting spiritually and they might not physically build something or do something, but like Daniel, they pray and their spiritual work is so significant. You think about Daniel. He knew he was not going to see Jerusalem rebuilt. He was just not going to be there. He was not going to see the repatriatization. He was not going to be involved with all of that. But yet he still prays. And that's something for us to keep in mind. That there are things we're not going to see. But we still pray for them anyway. We still pray for that future. You know, over 10 years ago, I had no idea what Sean was going to do. No idea. All I knew was like, when I would pray with the brother and we would meet weekly as intern and, and they would meet with me and we'd pray that it was clear to me like God has something for him. I, I, gotta, I gotta exhort him and encourage him to go. As much as I would love him, for him to stay because he's so valuable in our community, I, God has something for him. And to see what's happening now in suburb of Atlanta is like wonderful, it's beautiful. So we continue to pray for those sorts of things, that future that is unseen. And I don't know how many of us are ever going to get a chance to go to Ethne and see it, but we still pray for it. We still pray for the persecuted church, even though we're never going to visit those countries. We still pray for generations ahead of us, even though we don't know who they are yet. That our faithfulness is beyond what directly affects us right now, today. And Daniel is invested into the future, even though he'll never see it. Verse 2, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. And this is something that I think we, we need to take some inventory on, because sometimes Christians will believe, you know, if we're 
really Christians, we should always just be positive and optimistic and encouraging and all this kind of stuff. And I just need to point out to you that Daniel mourned. He wasn't always happy. And it's important for us to realize that just because we have a relationship with God, it doesn't mean we don't experience hardship and, and conflict and, and the difficult things in life that Daniel mourned over this vision he received. He mourned over this news that he heard. What news was this? Well, you look into Ezra 4, and it, it tells us that things seem to be going forward, but then in Ezra 4 came all these adversaries who were opposed to the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And then it wasn't until Nehemiah, he takes the mantle and then he moves it forward as the cupbearer of the king and sharing with the king, you know, things are really terrible in my father's homeland. And then he picks up this rebuilding project and then things start to look a little brighter. But prior to that, Daniel was bummed out. God, you told me that this was going to happen. And then I'm getting news. Ezra's reporting back. Things are not good. And we're, we're human. We mourn over sad things. But we can be faithful and mourn at the same time. We can also be faithful and fearful at the same time. Take a look at verse 12. Just skip down there really quickly. The angel tells Daniel, fear not, Daniel, which means he's fearful. So we don't have to be pretending. We don't have to pretend to, to be a certain way and just Put on plaster on that happy face when you go to church. Always look positive. Don't let people in on the negative stuff. And that's something I really, really appreciate about this church. I think the people here are just real. And you can express how you feel without feeling judged or condemned. You can just express yourself. You don't have to hide behind a happy face. And we can be faithful as we mourn. We could be fearful and faithful. And as we experience those things, we just need to continue to rely and depend on God to practice faithfulness, even when those bad feelings are inside of us. Verse 3, I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen. Now, linen is what priest wore, with a belt of fine gold, this is signifying majesty, gold, from Uphaz around his waist, his body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. So you can just picture, this is a very dramatic encounter that, that Daniel is, is, is giving us a picture of, and, and he's giving us a lot of detail of what he saw. Verse 7, and I, I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground." This vision was really burdensome to Daniel. It, it caused him to be, become weak. What Daniel heard showed him a lot of conflict, and, and this conflict was going to cause a lot of people to suffer. And this took Daniel's breath away. It caused him to lose his strength. It caused him to fear. Now, how do we know that? You skip down to verses 17 through 19, and it tells us that, and that the 
that the angel had to strengthen him. Now, who sent this angel? God. A lot of what we lose sight of is that the conflicts we experience in this physical, earthly world are reflections of the conflicts in the spiritual world. That these spiritual conflicts continue and so will our physical conflicts and that will continue until the return of Christ when he puts the end of ends to rest. Now in the meantime before that this conflict just continues. We continue to face conflict. It will never end. We can double the amount of nonprofits to battle injustice and it will not stop. Now does that mean that we don't do it? No. We are called to good works as Christians. We move forward with those things. But our hope is not in that good work. Our hope is in Christ when he comes. And so we look at this and we know that God greatly loves us from last week's study. And perhaps what we go through will usher the best days of our life. But then there's, an op- there's a possibility that it might not. And so that's one of those things that Christians kind of like throw out all the time, right? Like, oh, it'll be like a better thing. Go tell that to someone in a foreign land that doesn't have the upward mobility that we have. And I think that's just kind of our complex of the developed world, of a first world, that we think, oh yeah, we can. Not so in the third world. It's not the same thing. But we know that we're all greatly loved by God. Doesn't necessarily mean things are going to turn out great, but we know that we are greatly loved by God. And we read that Daniel does not go rebuild the city, but he has a lot of spiritual work that he needed to do. The people of God faced this huge conflict in rebuilding their city. And Daniel knew that he had to turn to God in his old age. He knew that God was at work. Now you notice Daniel's interaction with this angel. It's pretty typical. He's fearful. He is not ambivalent or indifferent about it. He's scared. Just like anybody else in the Bible who encounters an angel, they get scared. All that pride, any sort of self-confidence is just kind of out the window. Now, some of you may be wondering, why does he keep saying angel? Because in my studies of Daniel or in me hearing messages about Daniel, I've been told that this is a Christophany, that this is the pre-incarnate Christ that is interacting with Daniel here, that this angelic figure is no one but Christ himself. Now, this is one of those details where people can kind of keep going around debating and going around and stuff, and and we're just going to briefly talk about this one, and then we won't go into a little detail thing. We'll go back up 50,000 feet. I understand how people can come to this conclusion because he does does address um, this angel by my Lord, right? My Lord, verses 16, 17, 19. And who Daniel saw from this description in verses 5 and 6, it seems to point to a Christophany. And it would be an easy, convenient interpretation that this is a Christophany. Now, let me read verses 10 through 13 um, before I share with you why the the biggest hang-up for me is why I don't think this is the pre-incarnate Christ. But let me just read 10 through 13 first. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved... Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel. 
For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. So again, Daniel's prayers, they've been heard. It has helped the release of angelic forces from heaven. And this is what we need to do when we're battling unrighteousness, evil, wickedness, injustice in our world, that, that we need to pray, that it's very powerful. Now back to verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. So, here's my biggest hang-up in thinking that this is the pre-incarnate Christ, that this is not a Christophany. It's back in verse 13. He was delayed for three weeks. He was helped by an archangel, Michael, to get through in three weeks. So this is my question. Does Jesus Christ, Son of God, need help from an angel? Because if he does, how can he just simply declare, I'm going to put an end to all of it. When I return, I'm putting an end to all of it. If you need the help of an angel for three weeks, how are you going to just say, I'm going to put an end to all of it? Which makes me think, like, this is not a Christophany. That this isn't the Christ, because I don't think that another angel can help Christ. If anything, it's Christ is like, I'll help you, little buddy. It's not the other way around, right? So I think this is another angel that's not Michael, whether it's Gabriel or some unnamed angel, that this is who it is. That behind all these earthly powers stand these angelic beings, and I think most people ignore that angelic heavenly realm. Now, oftentimes, people, churches, they make it uh, more of a priority to do battle in the earthly realm while neglecting the heavenly spiritual realms. But it's clear that behind all these evil, earthly, wicked, unjust powers are these evil, unjust, unrighteous, bad spiritual powers. Verse 14. And came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for the days yet to come. So this angel, I won't go into like detail stuff anymore. We're flying back up now, okay? This angel was telling Daniel that this vision wasn't just for this present time here, but it's for days to come. It's for the future. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. Now, this is a little encouragement for all of us here. If we find this prophetic stuff, this apocalyptic stuff difficult to interpret, we're in really good company. Because you look at Daniel. It happened to him. He became mute, which I can totally relate to in these past several weeks of reading these passages. Because there are times I've just been reading this stuff and I'm just like, what am I going to say? What am I going to share with the church? Like, what, the, the stuff. I, I'm, I'm speechless. So I totally get it. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then, my, then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O oh my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage, 
And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. This terrifying vision. It left Daniel out of breath. It left him weak. But then a wonderful reminder that we talked about last week, that we are greatly loved by God. That we can go through a lot if we know that we are greatly loved, can't we? You know, if you can always rely on that parent that has expressed their great love for you, that you can overcome a lot of things. And with that love that we have from God, that great love, we can find that inner peace, that inner strength, that inner courage, because we're greatly loved and we can, we can move forward with that. That you have that hope because he's pointed a future for you. Even though along the way, there may be some tough things along the way, but he's pointing a future out for you that at ultimately, I'm for you. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of peace, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side except these, except Michael, your prince. Now, that's a really, really interesting question. Do you know why I have come to you? And he says to fight the prince of Persia, which is what was happening there. And then he points a little to the future and he says, and then the prince of Greece. It hasn't happened yet. So in other words, he's continuing to fight this fight for good because the fight against the prince of Persia was happening and this fight against the prince of Greece hasn't happened yet. And if we look back to chapter 9, we also know that there's a fight against the Seleucid Empire with Antiochus Epiphanes. We also know there's a fight against the Roman Empire and it continues on until the very present day that there's still a lot of conflict that is happening against the people of God. So at the time of this vision, Daniel wasn't even sure if the people of God will survive. But because he's given this picture of Grecian Empire, Seleucid Empire, Roman Empire, it all stinks. They're going to suffer and they're going to go through a lot of conflict. But we're alive. We're going to survive. God is going to pull us through all of those things. And that's our hope. You might be going through these different conflicts in your life, but at the end, ultimately, God brings us through it. That God is at work and our hope is in him. That the angelic realm is working on our behalf. On our behalf. That God knows the end and he tells Daniel what is inscribed in the book of truth. Some of you may be visiting our church this morning and may, th may be thinking like, man, this church is nuts. They believe in angels and demons and all this kind of stuff. That, this church is nuts. If, if you're one of these people, I, I have a question for you. How can you explain the continual conflict that we're experiencing from the beginning of whenever humans were created until this very day? How can we not have figured it out by now when we figured out so many other things? How, how can it be that only in the past hundred years have we looked at women with a little bit more equality and we're far from it being totally equal? Let's be honest. We still haven't figured that out. And we've been together for how long? 
forever, since the beginning, it's been man and woman. We still haven't figured that out. So how do you explain that? Shouldn't we have figured that out by now? And so Christianity points out there are demonic forces at work in the spiritual realm that influence the physical realm. And we have a sinful nature in us, in all of us, that there are evil powers at work, that there are forces that are anti-God, dark, evil, unjust, demonic powers influencing our physical world and at work to blind people from truth because not everyone's mind is open to God. There are people whose minds are at enmity with God because the forces of evil are against the message of God. And this is this ongoing battle since Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Now these evil forces know that the war against God will be lost. But just like all wars, it doesn't just stop. The battles don't just stop. Enemies tend to want to inflict the most amount of damage possible before the war is declared over, before there is a peace. And so the evil powers take as many with them as possible, and the people of God will continually face conflict until that war is finally put to an end. Some people ignore anything spiritual. Like, hey, you guys are just getting too far on that end. And then there's the other extreme where everything is a demon, right? There's the demon that causes me to overeat on chocolate, uh, that causes me to buy a used car that I shouldn't have bought because it's in bad condition, or whatever. There's a demon for everything. We're not going to go to either extreme. We're just going to recognize the reality of spiritual warfare and that we need to stand firm in it, stand firm with truth, righteousness, to be ready to give the gospel of peace, to be faithful, knowing who we are as God's greatly beloved, and that we have the truth, the word of God, to pray at all times in the spirit, to keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, proclaiming the mystery of the gospel. None of this is original on my part. I am just summarizing Ephesians chapter 6 about putting on the armor of God. That's what it all is. That we're in this irreconcilable conflict and it's led to war. And so this is either truth or it's not. This is not something in the middle. It is absolutely true or it is absolute madness. It is craziness. Now, we can't water down the truth and you can't simplify the craziness. Right? You, when you look at a Christian, you have to either look at them as like, Hey, they're actually telling the truth. Or you can be like, those guys are absolutely nuts. There's nothing in the middle. If you're nuts, you're nuts. If you're truthful, you're truthful. It's one or the other, right? So it's either fully accepted or it's fully rejected. You just can't pick and choose what you want from the Word of God and just say like, this part yes, this part no. Who made you God that you can just pick and choose? It's either truth or it's not. And this is going back to Genesis the original sin wasn't simply because Eve decides to eat a fruit that God said, don't eat it. The original sin goes back to this. That we think we can discern between what is good and what is evil. And that has been the continuous sin ever since. That we think we can make the judgment of what is good and what is evil. And so what do we do? We pronounce evil things as good. And we pronounce good things as evil, and we've gotten it all messed up when all along God has told us 
what is good and what is evil. That's the fruit. The fruit is the discernment of what is good and evil. It's not an apple. Give me a break. If it was an apple, I think it was a green apple, not a red one. But anyway, let's pray. God, we are thankful for your word. And Lord, we confess, we repent. Just like in the last two weeks as we were practicing confession and repentance as a church of our self-confidence, of our pride, of thinking that we can discern what is good and what is evil. And we ask, God, that your word would direct us, that it wouldn't be something that would be of the flesh, but that of the spirit. Lord, we invite angels. We invite goodness to overcome the darkness. Lord, may we be receptive to that. May we not just go to the other extreme either to where we do nothing and all we do is pray. But God, that in our prayers, there is an enactment of that faithfulness, just like Nehemiah exercised, just like Ezra exercised. But let us also not forget the, the spiritual aspect of it where Daniel was firmly planted and interceding behind what you were doing. So God, let us hold those things in the tension that they are, but help us to remain faithful and united and reliant upon your spirit and your word in Jesus' name. Amen.